Welcome to Pocket Fiction by Steve Cook. Rejection, a standalone short story. Wake up, Joan. The voice seemed to be coming from a long way away, through layers of foam or fabric. Woozily, Joan forced her eyes open, then squinted against the bright lights of the room. The shape of a man was stood next to the bed, his body covered in a thick black cloak. He was holding some sort of staff. No, she realised, it had a long curved part at the top. A scythe? She could hear an incessant pinging noise, accelerating wildly as adrenaline began to pump through her. The figure above her swam into focus, a worried human face peering out from beneath the cowl, his hands up. No, 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 don't scream. It's fine, you're safe, you're fine. Please don't scream, he was saying, almost a mantra of pacification. Joan lurched into a sitting position, pulling against the tangle of sensors and wires attached to her, and grabbed a fistful of his cloak. Who the hell are you? she growled. And where the hell is this? My name's Chris, and you're in the Parkway Facility Reclamation Centre, he said, voice rising as she grabbed onto whatever flesh was below the fabric. Please, let me go! More details of the room she was in began to filter through, along with memory. I was... I was dying, she said. A car accident. I remember hearing them say there was nothing they could do. I was in a a coma. Chris straightened up and began to take off the cloak. Underneath, he was wearing a form-fitting grey jumpsuit that covered him from his neck downwards. You did die, he said. And then you got better. That's how it works these days. The bed was in the centre of the room, the beeping heart monitor a squat box on wheels next to it. There was an uncomfortable-looking armchair and a little table, devoid of detail. A frosted window let a soft light in. Joan looked down at herself, feeling slightly vertiginous. She was wearing a green hospital gown and, along with the heart monitor sensors, an IV drip was plugged into her right hand. She slowly relaxed back against the pillows. Start talking, she said. Chris nodded and sat down. He was about twenty, maybe, and eager as a puppy. This will be a lot of information to take in at once, but stick with it. First, you're in what you would call the future, a time when humanity's population is at an all-time low. Joan let out a short laugh. The future? (laughs) I could believe that. But populations go up, not down. There was an extinction event, Chris said. It wasn't anything we'd predicted. No meteors, diseases, anything like that. This was a social extinction, As more and more people were born, there was less living space for everyone. People rubbing shoulders with their neighbours day in, day out, and they'd just lash out for no reason. Riots, murders, and then there were the ones who separated themselves from society completely. He got up and walked over to the window, becoming a dark shape against the fuzzy light. We called them the beautiful. They focused on themselves, their beauty. They wouldn't work, wouldn't even procreate. Between the beautiful and the cruel, society just crumbled in on itself. Joan shifted on the bed, almost certainly pulling out the IV would hurt, and he would be alerted if she disconnected the heart monitor. Why am I here? One of the last great innovations was a limited form of time travel. We can't travel to the past, 
Something to do with the creation of time travel means that anyone past that point can't use it. But we can bring people here from the past and send them back. So we take people who have died of things that are now curable. Cancer, AIDS, that sort of thing. And we revive them and cure them. Aren't these people missed? He smiled. We're pretty good at identifying people whose disappearance will have no real effect on the timeline. Gee, thanks. No offence. I mean, people lost in the wilderness, never to be found. Anyone entombed within about 48 hours of their death can be brought back. Recently dead with no family members? Like me. Joan sighed. Guess I fit into that bracket. And the death suit? The... Chris turned around and cocked his head to one side. The cowl and scythe. Oh! He walked back to the chair and picked up the implement, presenting it to Joan. Now that she was properly awake, she could see that it wasn't a scythe at all. It was a staff with a long piece of silvery circuit board attached at its peak that just happened to come to a point. We use the staff to open the windows into the past, and the cowl is made of a smart polymer to resist the effects of the harmful radiation given out by the window. Joan couldn't help smiling. So, when people said they saw death, that was just us. Checking in on potential rescues, yes. Chris matched her smile. The perils of time travel. He sat back down, the staff across his knees. It's nice to have someone who's fairly understanding of all this. But then, people from your century tend to be. Probably all the science fiction films and books, Joan said. Most likely. We've picked up people from earlier in history. Some we've had to return because they won't believe they're not dead. Even had one guy, Yeshua I think his name was, insisted that it was going to be important he was left dead. So we put him back. He shook his head. Never seen a man argue with such certainty to stay dead. And that Earhart woman, she was really upset. There was silence for a moment, and Joan marvelled at how quiet it really was. The long hours, days, in her coma, all she'd had was the occasional snatches of sound. Bustling hospital corridors, sirens in the distance, people coughing, people running, doctors and nurses with technical jargon. But here it was quiet. As quiet as a tomb, she thought wryly. So what now? Chris blushed. Well, uh, now that we've rescued you, we're going to need you to help out. Our world is a fairly empty one, and a lot of our skill set has died off. And there's procreation, of course. It took a moment for Joan to process what he was saying. You want me to be some sort of broodmare? She scowled. Just squeeze out a few new future humans, that right? No, no, I mean, not quite, Chris said. There's a lot of things that need doing. Farming, building, research, all that sort of stuff. I don't know how to do any of that stuff. Now listen to me. I was dead, and I made my peace with it, such as it was. When I heard them saying they'd switch me off, well, that was that. And here I am, alive again. I was ready, you know? Joan began to pull the sensors out from under her gown, wincing as the sticky pads tugged at her skin. The heart monitor flatlined. Maybe I just want to go back to whatever's waiting for me. Well, in that case, Chris said, but Joan was in full flow now. What, you can't have me put back? You'd have me killed off, ground down and made into food? She undid the tape that was holding her IV in place and steeled herself to take it out. We don't want to do any of those, Chris said, putting his hand over hers. Please, don't do that. You might hurt yourself. His hands were warm and firm, blocking her from getting to the little device, and after a moment scrabbling at his fingers, she relented. Fine. So what's the point then? You've brought me back, I was dead, and you've already made it abundantly clear that no one was bothered by my passing. 
No, no, Chris said, and Joan couldn't help but feel a little sorry for him. Never had she seen such abject disappointment, or perhaps it was despair at being unable to help her. Taking a deep, steadying breath, she calmed herself and felt his hand relax on hers in response. It's not that I don't want to help you, but this isn't my time, this isn't my problem. Chris looked at the floor. We can put you back, Joan, but imagine the chaos. Everyone thinks you're dead. You'd have no way of proving you are who you say you are. If you stay here, you'd have to help maintain the future. Or you'll be as bad as the cruel and the beautiful were. He shuddered and rubbed his wrist absently. He stood up. Look, this is wasting both of our time. If you're really intent on staying dead, then I guess I'll just have to send you back dead. He reached for the scythe. It was impossible now not to see it as anything other than an instrument of death, and for a small red-coloured part of the blade. No, wait, don't just kill me. I thought you just said... It's not like you've given me much time to think about it. Joan bit her lip. What if you sent me to another time? Chris paused, finger an inch away from the red button. How do you mean? Send me to some other time. I get a life, I promise to make no impact on the timeline, and you just move on to the next willing soul. He widened his eyes, the first hint of a smile touching his expression. Yes, yes, that might work. I do so hate to send people back, dead or alive. He tapped a few commands into the scythe blade and picked up his cowl. I've made some modifications to the window I'll send you through he said, throwing the cloak around his body. You'll come out with only limited memories of your time and the time you spent here with me. It'll seem dreamlike almost. He pressed the red button and the window opened. Joan stared at it. Impossibly, a sharp-edged hole had opened up in the room through which a gentle breeze was blowing, carrying with it the scent of cut grass and wood smoke. Go! Now! Joan slid the ivy out of her arm, hissing in pain as it came free. What year are you sending me to? Chris looked up at the scythe. Early 2200s. Primitive, but you'll manage. Grandma was always telling me that the early 23rd century was the best one. He waved her away. Go! The window won't stay open long. Grabbing his hands, Joan smiled. Thank you, Chris. She went up to the window, mustered her courage and stepped through. There was no resistance, nothing to say she'd done anything more than step through a doorway and as she turned around she could see another impossible window looking back into the room. She was in a field somewhere, in the middle of nowhere, and in the distance she could see a glistening city rising up. Joan looked back at Chris. What was your grandmother's name? Perhaps I can look her up. Oh, that's easy. She was called Joan too. A look of horror spread across Chris's face as he lurched forward, his feet getting tangled in the cloak. No, wait! and then the window snapped closed, leaving Joan stood in the field alone. <laughs> <laughs>